0: Hello, this is Ruslan Marinowski. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk, and you're listening to Ukraine boss football. It's heading east, it's heading east, it's heading for boost heading east, it's heading
1: east, it's heading east, it's heading, for boost heading, 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 heading east, it's heading east, it's
2: heading east, it's heading, the boost heading. East. It's east, it's east, it's
1: headed, it's headed Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ukraine Plus Football, the home of the number one English language podcast in Ukrainian football. Today's episode is a Euro 2020 roundup special where we're going to assess Ukraine's performance following their historic achievements of reaching and finishing at the quarterfinal stage. I'm, of course, your host, Adam from Oocrofot24. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Zaria Londonsk, Andrew. As always, Andrew, hey, I, saw, I saw somewhere that you were uh, at the semi-finals this week. It must have been pretty cool being inside those full Stadium.
2: Absolutely, Adam. Thanks. The semi-finals were something, really. The atmosphere probably unparalleled with anything we've seen over the past 18-plus months due to the fact that Wembley allowed 60 plus thousand fans into the stadium and also the fact that I think some extra fans were also able to sneak in just on the way that the Euros entry process allows. I heard a number of stories about that, particularly after the or during the uh, England-Denmark game. But yeah, especially the England-Denmark game where obviously played at Wembley with a load of England fans the atmosphere was off the charts like you haven't heard that sort of deafening crowd noise in ages and it really was acted as like a 12th man for England and I think it helped them get over the line yesterday and maybe some people may even say influenced um, referees decisions on some occasions (laughs) Um, and the Italy the Italy Spain game was also very entertaining absolute brilliant sort of End-to-end match that went all the way to penalties, and hopefully the best team wins in the final.
1: <laughs> Thanks for that. Of course, as well as always, we've got the English-speaking voice of Ukrainian football, Ray. Mate, great, got to ask you: happy with the two finalists, best two teams in the tournament?
0: Oh, I'm great to be here again. Hello from sunny Odessa. 30 degrees Celsius, sunny weather. Great uh, time to round up the greatest year in Ukraine's history. And yeah, I'm happy with the finalists. Of course, uh, they were the um, the best teams. Uh, on paper, before the tournament, the highest stakes were on those two. But I'm pretty sure in the final we're gonna see very, very exact same football from both sides. Very similar as uh, Italy is gonna be cautious and England is gonna be cautious as always. So. Yeah, that's it. Uh,
1: thanks, for that, mate. And we're really happy today to welcome back two good friends of the podcast to help us dissect Zabina's performances. First of all, Peter from the Next Way. Hope you've been keeping well, Peter. I mean, obviously you're based in England. Uh, what's the atmosphere like at the moment? I hope you're not suffering too much.
3: Hey guys, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's it's really it's really really blown up. I mean, there was a lot of excitement before the semi final, obviously. We know how much coverage um, we got for the Ukraine game in the quarterfinal. The build-up to the semi was something else, and now it's just gone wild. Um, I mean, last night, I could hear car horns beeping, people um, singing the, the famous song, uh, That Shall Not Be Named. And, yeah, obviously the videos from London last night, people climbing on, on London buses and driving along the streets in them and, and things like that. It's it's going to be something pretty spectacular to witness if the host nation does win the tournament on on sunday and uh see if we get this bank holiday on monday
1: oh you lucky things and of course yeah we're really honored and thankful as always as well to welcome uh dimitri july now dima thank you so much for joining us i know Because you've told me previously, you've been watching the Copa America as well at the same time. In your opinion, how has the standards between the two tournaments sort of differed? And, you know, is the Euros been the standout of the two tournaments going on this summer?
4: Hi, hi, guys. It's very difficult to compare because in Copa America this year you have two groups of five and four teams go to the next stage of the quarterfinals. So only two teams went home after the first round and people were complaining about just uh, eight teams going home after the first round of European Championship. And most of the games... Went to the highest standard. Even if we talk about Brazil and Argentina, we have a lot of cage teams, and like, it's it's not what it used to be. But again, it's it's a long season, and well, at least the final day is what people expected. Brazil, Argentina. I did hope for Italy, Denmark final after the group stages, before the round of 16. I was looking at the possible permutations, and I was thinking, oh, Italy, Denmark, that would be nice. for considering how they played mm-hmm. during the tournament, but well, you know, England jumped over the line eventually into the final yeah
1: with two feet forward as we would say now I mean Peter going to go back to the start of the tournament now I remember you were talking a bit about the the squad selection but looking back at that sort of decisions that were made pre-tournament do you think the the squad that Sabina took to the Euros was the strongest one possible and now sort of afterwards in reflection are you happy with the decisions that were made there
3: of course, um, injuries died at the start of the tournament. Uh, it was pretty close, but we we were kind of a bit worried about the the left wing situation. Um, and then the inevitable happened that you know Zubkov was the starter and looking pretty good. And as soon as he got injured, um, and it became evident that Marlos isn't a like-for-like replacement or the right player, we were seriously lacking on the left wing, and that really hampered us for possibly the rest of the tournament. I mean, it even caused a tactical switch up um, when Sheva was trying to play players out of position and then obviously has gone back to the three centre-backs. So there were some calls before the tournament for somebody like Ivan Petriak to be to be called in, but obviously Sheva's not really fancied him. Mentioned those injured players beforehand, I don't even know how I feel like if... Konokyanka wasn't injured and he was at the tournament, would that have been better or would it have been more of the same? I don't really know. But yeah, I think the only thing that was lacking was, like I say, a, a, a proper left winger, but we were unlucky because Zubkov obviously suffered his injury. But otherwise, the first 11 in particular, I think in general, like, like I say, left winger side, I think it's about, about there. So I don't know. We could be picky and say maybe this person over this, but in general, I think it's about as strong as strong as we could expect. Fair
1: enough. So uh, Raydo, Peter mentioned some of the, the injuries Concerns going into the tournament. Let's talk for a second about the injuries that Sabina picked up during the tournament. Um, you know, Malinowski, Popov, Krivsov, Stepanenko. In your opinion, what was the overall impact of those injuries on the team? And do you think was there any suspicion before the tournament that those players were not going to be fully fit?
0: Ironically, we mentioned a couple of episodes back that Crypto had an interview where he mentioned that the whole team is not quite uh, happy with the extensive trainings that were uh, provided uh, before the Euros and uh, that kind of ringed the bell. And that was right before the Austria game, I believe. So they were. Cautions uh, before that, uh, not about that these exact players. It was uh, quite uh, known, uh, quite well known, that Malinowski needs uh, surgery. He's uh, playing with a serious injury. He's he's been up uh, on his, uh, you know, on his feet uh, every match of the season for Atlanta. It was a big one, and he really made the difference on the pitch for that team. Same as Stepanenko, he, it's, it was announced that he cannot play 90 minutes anymore because of his you know, age and, of course, his injury, which is quite serious. So I would say that injuries uh, affected uh, the team performance in, a, in the worst way possible, especially the Zubko, right? So there were huge expectations of him. And we didn't quite deal with his absence till the last minute. So uh, in general, uh, I would... I would speak more about the physical uh, conditions of the players rather than the injury department.
1: Fair enough. I mean, uh, Dima, I'm going to call on you here a little bit though. I mean, moving away from the physicality issue, let's talk about the tactics for for a moment, you know, with the tactical changes and the more pragmatic approach that Shevchenko during the the tournament. What was your take on that, how he approached the games?
4: I've heard a lot of different opinions about the first game i can say i enjoyed it from the tactical point of view yes they made mistakes but those are the mistakes of the team that tried to play their way it's not like they were trying to adjust but they did have to adjust for a sweden game after what happened against austria because that was something i didn't really expect the way they lost their game probably even more than a game against england because it is more or less explainable what happened against England in the quarterfinals but the Austria game was really tough and those two days when we had to wait and see what happens I think it was a good time for <laughs> manager and his assistants to think about um, the next step and what we can do about the, against the next opponent and they did make those changes for Sweden game and it worked it was very good and I was a bit surprised when Zinchenko returned to the center in the game against England and didn't stay on the left because he had a brilliant game on the left you have three at the back of course against England you can have three at the back. But again, when you have Kriksov there, who is not as fast as he can be, and, uh, and Matfienko made mistakes during the tournament. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all about who you've got in those positions, about how quick they are. And considering the goals are early, of course, it wasn't the contest after that. But overall, there were mistakes from the tactical point mm-hmm. of view. But also, we have to mention the Sweden game and how uh, the changes were implemented.
1: You mentioned your surprise there that Zinchenko was put back in the midfield. You know, in your opinion, could you see any rationale why Shevchenko chose to put Zinchenko back there?
4: No, the idea probably was that he could play through balls, you know, in the middle and just find your choking for it, just getting the ball in the middle, just you receive it from the back. But the problem is, he didn't receive those balls from the back properly. And being mm-hmm. wide on the left, he probably would have had a bit more space to get those balls into his feet. And uh, But then he would have to go on on his own on the flank. So there, with the other players next to him, like Sidarchuk, probably the idea was that they could form those triangles and move the ball forward. But well, it, it actually did work uh, in the first half for a bit. Those minutes, probably mm-hmm. after the 25th minute, that gave us some hope for the second half. <laughs> Because they actually moved the ball well. Yeah. But then it just, it just disappeared after the second and, of course, the third goal. So that might have been the reasoning. But, of course, it's much better to talk to the managers. The problem here is, I just want to say that, that they would never sit down and, and talk us through the tactics. Somehow they're, I don't know, mm-hmm. they, are, they aren't even afraid. They don't want to do it. And it would be good to hear, okay, I put Marlos <laughs> in the first game to play Zubkov because I thought. And I just hear, it's okay, it's normal. But now we, we didn't hear that. And we just hear that Marlos played a good game against the Netherlands. Oh, yeah, that was a very good game, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we will not hear that. So we only, we can guess. We, we actually, we're used to it. After 30 <laughs> years of, <distance laughs> of the national team, we're, we're used to it.
1: It's, I mean, it's a crying shame as well. It would have been lovely to have heard something this week following the England game as to why the decisions were made I mean Andrew you commented at the weekend didn't you about the fitness issues you were commenting last week about the fitness issues as well could you go in a little bit deeper about that way what were your concerns about about the fitness with Zabirna?
2: Mainly due to the fact that Zabirna started their training camp two weeks before everyone else I think it's just a very known comment and one that has been going around throughout Social media and just the media sphere as well. And that always there would be some sort of scrutiny on that decision to end the UPL a week early to allow the Dynamo and Shakhtar contingent and Dnipro 1 contingent to link up with Shevchenko for that initial period when all the big leagues were still carrying on, not giving them any rest in particular. Okay, Zbirna had, well, the Ukrainian contingent that play in the in the UPL had the winter break but still maybe an extra week rest could have done them a bit of good it seems just from my point of view that um, Shevchenko was going for a bit of a Lobanovsky style burnout training session stuff as was the case when he was a player Mm. and trying to maybe pull up their fitness or something like that but in the end when we actually watched the matches there was no real intensity in pressing or anything like that so I'm not entirely sure what the purpose of getting those fitness levels and making it so intense in that particular first week where they were doing a lot of drills like shuttle runs and that sort of stuff what the purpose of that actually was in the end because if anything we saw in the majority of matches is Birna were just flagging towards the end 70 minutes onwards it was quite a struggle in that Sweden game they got over the line thanks to you know having the opportunity to have six subs which certainly helped freshen up the players and also playing against 10 men. So it's a weird one. And there's also been the, the comments that Zinchenko brought into Man City fitness coaches into the backroom staff of Zinchenko, and they probably cost a fair amount. And we're not really sure what they actually brought. If we actually look at the results, what did they bring? So it's just difficult to sort of hark back on the results because the fitness was certainly a problem. Shivchenko blamed the loss to Austria markedly on the fitness problems, saying that there was just no energy left after three games in such a short space of time. Then obviously they had the eight days rest in between before the Sweden game, which benefited Zbina greatly. And we saw that they just got over the line. And then, you know, the second game syndrome that I always hark back to, is it a fitness issue? Is it a psychological issue? What What is it really that's been unable to match sort of the same sort of levels that they have in the match that they've played maybe three, four days previously? Yes. Malinowski even spoke to the British press a few days before the England game, saying that if the match was three days after... Um, it would have been very difficult for us, but four days should be just perfect for us to prepare for the game. Ironically, we saw the results of that
1: you You were in the fortunate position if i'm if I'm right that you were able to attend some of the the open training sessions for the press. were they i mean were they show training sessions what What sort of things did you see going on when when you attended those?
2: To be honest, the reality of open training sessions, the open 15 minutes that they give to journalists, mm. even when I was in Bucharest, where they were on every day, all, you, all a journalist media representative gets to see is them warming up. Yeah, you, you may get to see the opening couple minutes of them doing some passing drills or something like that, but you're never going to see anything tactical, anything fitness related, anything like that. You could say it's a show thing. It's just maybe for a bit of B-roll for the cameras to pick up for the you know news session or something like that but really they're not of any benefit unless you know maybe you might see someone who's injured and not not partaking in training or doing something on their own but as a whole they're they're merely just you know to get a bit of a feel of how the team are doing maybe psychologically what their mentality is like how they're looking and then that's about it and then you see the real results on the pitch for the next day
1: Pete help me out here it's Everyone's a bit down a little bit about the moment, about the performances. Bring a bit of positivity to the room, Peter. It's all on you. I mean, what were your highlights of the tournament? You know, personally, you give us a couple of happy takeaways, and you know, after that, are you are you excited for where the teams going in the future? Did you see some sort of positive lights?
3: Yeah. So obviously, like a personal highlight is actually managing to get to the games. We're not all as lucky as um, Andre getting the press pass but I was lucky enough to get to two of the games so you know considering a few months ago that might not have been an option whatsoever I'm personally delighted with that um, but on the pitch, yeah, I've got some uh, highlights for you. So obviously Jarmolenko's goal and the comeback against the Netherlands, that's got to be up there tinted a bit obviously because we lost, never mind. Um, then the next highlight obviously is winning uh, a game after, what is it, five was it six games or was it five games that we'd lost on the trot? Um, so winning. Um, and that was one of the lucky ones that I managed to get to. Uh, my next highlight would, of course, be Denmark's victory in, the, in their final group game. Um, I think everyone in Ukraine enjoyed that one. Um, then again, Martin Dubravka's um, Howler against Spain. So there was going to be a winner in that game and it wasn't going to be nil nil and eliminate us. Then my next highlight is obviously Victor Klaarsson's last-minute winner against Poland to, to see us through and get us into the knockout stages. Absolutely delighted with that. And then, of course, yeah, the, 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 real, the real highlight standout moment is obviously um, coming against Sweden again, uh, like it did in Euro 2012. Um, but that Artem Dovbit goal, that moment, that euphoria, emotion there—that's obviously the standout. That's going to be the images that we'll will remember forever. So yeah, obviously that's that's a standout, along with you know those other ones I've just I've just mentioned. Uh, then I think. I don't know, the tournament stopped after that, didn't it? We didn't go any further. So, yeah, so the, yeah, that big moment is everyone's got to say that, surely. Mm. Thoughts going forward? Obviously, we've not had the best start to the World Cup qualifying campaign, but you know, we got to the quarterfinals, and like, and like I said, there's undertones of being a bit subdued, but we can take confidence from that. Okay, it didn't end very well in the quarterfinal, um, but it didn't end well in um, 2006 in, when we got to the quarterfinals. Let's just hope that our qualifying campaign post quarterfinal appearance is better than it was in 2008 qualifying uh, and now we we take a bit of confidence into those games in September after we've all had a little bit of a break uh, the team's had a break they've decided you know who's carrying on who's who's maybe not um, and mm-hmm. then if any new faces you know like um, from the under-20s progress you know we've seen potentially Shakhtar are, are giving some of those guys uh, younger guys a chance as well so yeah we'll see I think there's yeah there's a lot to be positive about when I mean, we got to the quarterfinals at the end of the day it might not have been as we wanted but we did
1: yeah yeah you put a small small, at least on Andrew's face there as you're reeling off those memories so, so, some great ones there as well
2: Petrol actually ones. well Petrol went to two games and he saw the only two wins so he's the lucky one in, in reality okay. I have um, I have
3: seen every group stage victory that Ukraine have ever had so um, I think I'll, I'll try and keep that up
1: we need to have a word with somebody get you on the plane wherever we're playing in the future i think that's gotta be the case (laughs) no matter what Ray, as as peter said there obviously uh, everything came to an end against england i mean your opinion what was the key reason there's been a lot of discussion across all the medias about about the performance you know was it the fitness in your opinion that was the problem was it just a golfing class was it personnel mismatches what what for you was sort of the key reason why England won so comprehensively in the end?
0: In my opinion it is the lack of flexibility and experience in picking lineups and coaching long term from obviously Andrei Sochenko as uh, when I saw five three two, 2 I thought what were you thinking I mean after such a great uh, match with a display, uh, with a defensive display, of course, in, with seven defensive players against Sweden, as we mentioned in our, one of our previous pods. Uh, I emphasized that England plays the same uh, football four, three, two, one, uh, 4 2 3 1, uh, but five uh, defensive uh, players eventually. And when I saw Shenko's lineup with two creative uh, defensive midfielders, uh, Shaparenko and Zinchenko, right? Mm-hmm. So, and only Sidorchuk in the back, no Stepanenko, although, uh, however, he used uh, both Stepanenko and with Sweden. Uh, it's still, a, you know, a gaping, a gaping hole, a, um, a wound that is not healed yet. And the thought, of what was uh, to be chewed and put into our minds after the game by Sushchenko and the rest of his staff, is that plan was concrete. It was just bad luck with set pieces. And again, you put slow Sidorchuk against England midfielders. Uh, you don't play 5 to 3. You expect, uh, you say that Krivtsov uh, was a letdown, but it wasn't Krivtsov's failure uh, in the first goal when he let uh, Sterling go. It was Chaparenko who couldn't take off the ball from the passer, who was, I believe, Sterling. Yeah, Sterling was a passer and Kane finished the moment. So once again, it's. The only reason, and it's on the surface.
1: Thanks for that, Dima. After after the game, obviously, Shevchenko's questioned the strength of the UPL. In fact, he said, you know, we're never we're never going to have a a good a strong national team until the standard of the domestic championship improves. Do you do you agree with that statement, or do you think he's being quite harsh when talking about the UPL?
4: Well, you have to understand that we have two clubs, and then the rest of the clubs in the UPL. So when he talks about UPL, he should specify: is he talking about and Dynamo Kyiv, or is he talking about the whole league? Because if we take Danish league, is it the strongest in Europe? No, but these are the clubs that prepare those players who go then to play in Italy, England, France, anywhere in Europe. These are the clubs that are the base of the whole structure of the football there. And, of course, you have the national teams of different age categories. The league itself may not be the best in Europe, but it is competitive, it is open. You have Nordschalen winning it, you have Midtjylland winning it, you have Brandenburg winning it again, you had Copenhagen for a few years. And maybe they fail in Europe, right? But uh, they produce players, and those players go abroad they don 't stay in denmark until they 're twenty six twenty seven twenty eight on those salaries when they cannot play in Europe like Kanaplanka, they 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 don 't run back for a good salary they try to find a chance to 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 be playing football and you look at the players we have now young players, mostly from Dynamo, of course, because young shakhtar players are playing for Mariupol not for Shakhtar right. So you look at those kids like Zabarni Popov, and I'm just wondering, how long will they stay with the club? When will they go abroad? They have to go, but then when? So these two clubs, they do what they want in the league. So when we talk about weak league, just please, just stop that. Specify, what do you mean by that? Are you talking about those two clubs? Are they weak enough to produce players? Or you really want every single club to produce? players for the national team well, and then you have to change a lot in, in the structure first of all you have to stop this bullshit of players going 15-16 uh, players going from one club to another because we have this another example of Czernomoritz now you have to stop that first and then go and talk about the <laughs> weak league and, uh, and strong league and we, we, we can have other examples from uh, those teams that participated in the storm because Denmark of course they went to the semi-final uh, that's why people are talking more about them. But then, you you can blame the National League, but the thing is, what has been done in the past to make it better?
1: Absolutely nothing. Say it again. I mean, you mentioned, said Denmark's mentioned there, but the Czech, Czechs got to the quarterfinal, the Swiss got to the quarterfinal as well, and I would strongly argue that those leagues are weaker than the UPL. As well, especially Dinamo Shakhtar, when you look at European performances, feel free to shoot me down. Um, if not, well, it's, yeah, it, it does seem a rather deflecting sort of comment there by by Sheva after the, the tournament. I'm just going to jump, jump around a little bit because, uh, as we've mentioned, sort of Shevchenko a little bit there. Ray, uh, Peter, I'll come back to you in a minute though, but Ray, with regard to Shevchenko overall, what I mean, has he done enough over over his time in charge with the national team? Is now you know is it is now the time really after everything for him to move on, or does he deserve to see out the World Cup qualification period? You know what what are your takes on him overall?
0: It took him a while to produce a result, and there was more of uh, like up and downs in his career in the national team let's not uh, forget uh, that uh, he was not experienced. started working national team. And I think it's the first uh, example in my memory that uh, a young uh, coach starts his coaching career from Nash, his own national team of his uh, native country uh, in He brought Italian assistants, uh, one of them is Mar So, a legendary Milan defender who once again worked only as a um, Assistant coach uh, for a while uh, under uh, Carlo Ancelotti's command. It probably was his magic uh, which brought our players to the condition they were at. Uh, as we know that uh, probably a bit of that Italian magic touch to squeeze all the juices from the players, uh, and it led that to the fact that Sobol. Lost conscious in training, as we know. And Molina, sorry, Molinovski played with um, muscle overwork. Zinchenko played with muscle discomfort in the end. Mentioning uh, Chevchenko's words about uh, picking the best players. He wasn't happy with his uh, lineup in the end and with their physical conditions. I just want to ask a question. Who was the coach? In terms of his uh, dressing room management, Yermolenko was not fit, neither Uh, making benefit for the dressing room uh, in the end. I mean, his class proved uh, itself and it helped us in certain moments. But overall, if the best player in the tournament for your team is 31-year-old winger who does not play for his club, then you probably should ask some questions. And those guys like Bezos, who came on as a sub with Sweden and on 121st minute, he went to sliding tackle on the opponent's half. You can see how hungry he was. And everyone saw that. And he was benched with England. Same as Makarenko, Sudakov, Timchik, Dovbik, Sihankov was let back on the pitch. He didn't prove himself, but there's another story. The point is, Shevchenko was a figure in his in the day. And when uh, he played, the, when the national team needed the change of generations, they still had Shevchenko. And he was probably starting, started, starting coaching then. But it was a major problem and, you, and everyone saw that that those young kids, they just cannot opt not to pass to Shevchenko in the end. And that's probably what's happened to Yarmolenko. He's the better example, I suppose. The times have changed, but the concept didn't.
1: Thanks. For that. I mean, Pete, obviously we're talking about Shevchenko there and you know, as Ray mentioned, it was his first managerial you know, experience. The, the substitution howler at the end of the England game. Yeah, we've got we've got to just touch on that quickly. Was you know was that just down to inexperience? Why do you think he he didn't bring them on earlier in the game where it was
3: just
1: um, a bit of a mess? Is, <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, there's a, a couple of theories around this. Either he basically doesn't trust them and he he didn't want it to get worse than it already was, so didn't bring them on earlier. Or he yeah just basically wanted to do it symbolically and. The referee showed us mercy in ending the game quicker, um, whereas obviously Shevchenko probably expected a bit of additional time. It would have been a nice touch to to get them on, but does it mean anything? I mean, one similar example, um, I was scathing when uh, Fomenko gave Zinchenko his debut in that game against Spain uh, when we needed a goal. They didn't make any subs and then brings this young debutant on for no particular reason. Obviously different circumstances this time because obviously we were well beaten by this point and to bring them on, yeah, he could have given them a couple of minutes earlier but I don't know, I'm not a professional footballer but like, do you want to come on for 30 seconds at the end just to say you've had an appearance? Does that count? I I don't know. Um, not for me, I don't think. But yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's not a massive drama, really. The players might be a little bit upset, but these these things happen. At least they don't have the four nil defeat on their record, so just one thing yeah. better
2: for them. I just want to add to that. Dovbik, I think deserved. I at least I think a fifteen minute run out or something for his heroics in the previous round. I just it out, maybe the other two. Okay, they've been in the camp for the what forty plus days that they were there. Tim Chicks could have got a couple minutes at the end. Obviously that didn't work out due to the way that the referee ended the game but I think Dovbik certainly should have at least had a 15 minutes to show something because okay could have risked it and what, Ukraine lost 5-0, 6-0 but I don't really understand what impact Dogbic would have had in that seeing as he's a centre forward weird in my opinion um, maybe a bit of stubbornness from Shrevechenkov in for whatever reason. And it's a shame that Ukraine lost in such a way. It wasn't as sort of like a valiant loss or even like a controversial loss as um, Denmark lost to England in terms of how they, how they got kicked out and among other problems. But it's just a shame that it was in such a sort of a helpless and without fight ending to the tournament, which probably put on like a slightly negative overtone despite the historic achievement of actually making it to that that stage for the first time. Because a lot of people comment on the fact that Ukraine were well beaten by Italy in 2006, but that performance was a lot better from Ukraine. They showed a lot more um, fight and were in the game for much of it. But for whatever reason against England, it was literally everything that England shot on goal other than that wonderful Bushcan save for Harry Kane like it just went in in particular the headers from from Kane and Henderson that was just quite poor defending probably added to the fact that there was no aerial presence in that centre defence after Krivtov went off possibly an impact that we were harking back we've already spoken to earlier about the injuries in the squad Popov could have been more influential in that stage had that occurred and he was still with the team but yeah it's a shame There have been, you know, I think we've we've harked back to Denmark a lot in this episode. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I think they're a good blueprint to take note from. And hopefully Zbirna and the coaching staff will take some sort of inspiration from them because they showed how to defend against England in particular from sort of the aerial challenges and set pieces in a way that for whatever reason, Ukraine were just completely incapable of doing. And it was really weird because they played so well in the qualifying campaign, had those positive results in, in the Nations League against the bigger sides, but just weren't able to really process that in this final match. Maybe it was to do with the fact that they were like already defeated, this sort of like, oh, it's a bonus match. Anything now is a bonus. And that sort of mentality... You know, it, it doesn't really drive you forward. It's like, oh, we're happy to be here. Yay, we're, we've won the lottery. It didn't, It doesn't really get you motivated enough compared to maybe some of the other nations we've seen. And it's a shame. Yeah. And one more thing on sort of the fitness that we've already been talking about. A lot of the players have gone straight back to their clubs for pre-season. So Stepanenko, Matvienko, Marlos, Krubin, Sudakov, Piatov. Okay, a few of those players didn't play any minutes during the Euros but you know for Stepanenko and Matyvienko them going straight into pre-season how's that going to affect them in the long run this this campaign I think it's going to have probably a detrimental impact, maybe not on the qualifiers, but just in general for their side. They're going to be knackered come next summer. Okay, it's a rest summer, technically, because the World Cup's not until the winter. But it's, it's, it's difficult to understand why they've not been given a bit more of a rest. Maybe it's some sort of club decision or something like that. I know that all the Dynamo Kiev players are all currently on holiday, so they've actually been given... Some time up, and we'll see what sort of that what that has, and whether how key that might be come down in the long run of the season.
1: Uh, it's going to be in- interesting to watch. While well, well, you're there, though, Andrew, obviously, back in March we we did an episode on the potential for this to be a record-breaking year for the national team. I mean, now that we're in July, you know, in your opinion, how how is it progressing? The year is it successful? Successful tournament? in general uh, for you or are, are they failing to hit the mark
2: if you actually just look on the focus of where ukraine finished and where people expected them to reach pre-tournament a lot shevchenko said the main goal is get out of the group they beat that that was for certain you know they they took that out of the park through not their own through not their own ability thanks to the results of others but they made the quarterfinals at the end. Yes, very much an underwhelming display at a tournament, but they're the only the second side ever to reach a quarterfinal of a major tournament. And based on what they achieved in 2019 with that unbeaten year and that sort of historic year that that was in the qualifying campaign, maybe it's a justified ending in terms of where they reached in the quarterfinals. Like they can leave with their heads held high that they end this error 2018 nations league up until this tournament they end it with their heads held high but probably due to the fact that it came a year late it had slightly taken the wind out of the sails of that momentum that they had at the end of 2019 etc and sadly maybe a lot of people will be underwhelmed by what ukraine actually achieved in retrospect it's certainly an improvement on 2016 so you can't really uh, you can't really complain about that. I guess the only thing that you can complain about is probably the amount of money that has been spent by the UAF on the coaching staff and whether that's actually been recuperated in the performances on the pitch. That's more difficult to assess and I don't really know how that would be actually um, done. Okay, they, I think it was 16 million bonuses from where they reached in the tournament that's probably going to get trickled down to everyone's, all the playing staff and all that sort of stuff, and the and the coaching team too. There's already been questions that it might not reach down to grassroots level or anything else. So it's difficult to say, really. Um, I think it was a success so far. Bad start to the World Cup qualifying, but that can all be, you know, turned on its head in the, in the autumn. Yeah, just
3: on that funding point. Um... Obviously, I think it's it's very well worth worth mentioning. I think I read somewhere that Andriy Yermalenko was donating his tournament fees um, to charities, and obviously, Alexander Zinchenko has been getting some press uh, this week because he's funded for some surgeons to come out to Ukraine to to help with um, some children. So, um, it's it's always worth pointing out some of the good charitable deeds that, that some of the players are doing. And inevitably, there will be others who haven't got the press who are doing something similar mm-hmm. as well. So. Um, kudos to them for doing that
1: well we're going to add that to your highlights list from the tournament right? <laughs> definitely has to be done now because sunday of course uh dima we we were having a chat on on your channel whilst the the heroes welcome was taking place not too far from where i'm sat now um i mean what was your what was your take on that was it i mean did they deserve the hero's welcome? Was it a bit forced? Or, you know, where, how does it sit with you, the performance? And should, they be, should the team be remembered as heroes?
4: Well, the problem here is that in Ukraine, there is no middle ground. Some people scream that it's a historical achievement and you have to do anything to praise the team. Even the president of the federation himself said the people were throwing stones at me. And I was like, how dare you? Why can't you throw some artificial turf at the guy, 16 euros per meter? That would be so much better for him. Why stones? But then there are others who scream, no, we failed. So getting to the quarterfinals is a failure. So I just don't, when you were mentioned again in our chat from my channel that you thought the Ukrainians were miserable and they are not. I say that we're so childish in so many ways. Even those who have like 30, 40, 45 years and more, we just cannot even sit down and analyze because there were good things, there were bad things. No, we have to scream at each other and say, "No, it's a historical achievement. Or it's a failure. It's neither." It's just a tournament that is very important for the development of the national team because it was the third consecutive European Championship for us. We didn't do well in those two. Now we're in the quarterfinals. They need this experience. They have to get to the World Cup. I don't even care now how, but they have to get to the World Cup and play those games again because for the first time in their life, in their careers, they have a game like against Sweden. Shevchenko in his entire career had one game like that against Switzerland when he was 30. You cannot teach it. You cannot explain it. Because... Of course, England plays a quarterfinal after being in the semifinals of World Cup and with each of them to of their clubs and stuff. It's so much easier because they didn't compete against England because, well, they probably thought, okay, we're fine. <laughs> we're in the quarterfinals. They didn't know what it feels like. We didn't know. We, as a nation, don't know what it feels like because it was the second time we played a major quarterfinal on this level. And both were... Andrew said that, that we were competing against Italy. I was at the ground in 2006. I know they didn't compete. It's just Italy, you know, sometimes give you the false <laughs> impression that you compete against them, especially that's Italy in 2006. So it was the same. So now it is important to build up on that, but do we have people to do that? And I'm talking about federation, I'm talking about the national team. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's saying, Shevchenko will decide himself when he goes. It's a funny concept. So does he decide, let's say, in September that he goes? And what happens next? Or will he decide after the qualification, if we don't qualify, for example, World Cup, and then he goes? When does it happen? And who's going to be the national team manager? So these are the questions we have to ask now, because it will be a bit late <laughs> when, he, when he goes unexpectedly. Because, of course, if we qualify for the World Cup, it's fine. He has to take the team to the World Cup. And Again, I, I, I can't stress this enough. We have to play those kind of games because there's the experience that people had watching Dobic scoring that goal in Glasgow, <sighs> and she stays with you. Just like we had the experience when Shevchenko scored against Tunisia and it, the last penalty against Switzerland for us and for the players, even more for the players, is very important. It's important to qualify. So something must be done about it to ensure that the national team can be focused on that. But of course, then the guy <laughs> brings people into airport with the flags, and they just throw them away after greeting the team. And so half of the people probably don't even know what they were doing there. So that, that's, that's what happens.
1: It is a shame that way. I mean, God knows what's going on with the federation, what we hope they or somebody sorts it out in, in the future. I mean, Demas the will well, qualification games coming up, really important. Um, Ray, you know, coming out of the Euros, whose last match do you think has already sort of took place for them? Do you see the likes of Marlas, Piatov, Yarmolenko, Krizov, even Stepanenko being called up in in September, or do you think now their, their time with the national team is up?
0: Shevchenko will stay for the World Cup qualifiers and the uh, same w- w- would do uh, Marlos, uh, Yarmolenko um, especially Stepanenko because I don't think that in a couple of months we will come up with a fresh new pitbull uh, likes of midfielder for uh, his position. So he'll probably stay. Marlos will stay because he stays at Shakhtar and Shakhtar is will be the base uh, basis club for uh, the national team. I have no doubt about that. Uh, Jan Malenko will stay for the dressing room. And Piatov, uh, I think he already stopped uh, his appear- uh, his appearances for uh, his career in the national team. Uh, I'm not sure about Kriptsov, as Shakhtar got a new manager and he, prob- he would probably put uh, younger um, Defenders in the lineup like Matvienko would be paired with uh, Bondar uh, or, or anyone else from the youth or Brazilian. So I don't think Urtso will have that much time to play. Therefore, um, we don't have that much veterans at that point in national team. Um, but from the ones you mentioned, 50% would stay for the qualifiers as Dmitrova uh, uh, pointed out, we need to proceed there at, at any cost. Touching
1: on those as well, I mean, Andrew, do you see, I mean, obviously, Ray, Ray said Yaromalenko is needed for the dressing room. I mean, if Conor Plianka is back fully fit, is there any chance he'll take Yaromalenko's place in in the dressing room with his, his known reputation or, uh, I mean, who who else may get into the squad? Any of the injured players or, or 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 younger ones that you'd like to see? I
2: definitely think that Yarmanko will stay. Where regardless of where he ends up, he's been linked with going to Turkey or somewhere like that. Even if he stays at West Ham, I think he'll still be in the squad, at least until the World Cup qualification, Slash so Fukarina get there, he'll he'll carry on until that. Marlos is another question. It depends whether the Zerbi will be playing him in this new team. And we've obviously seen a massive decline in him last season. And they've signed, you know, Pedrinho, who may be a bit of a replacement there. A lot of people saying he's a replacement for Tyson, but we'll see how that works out. Especially of the younger players in Shakhtar who may stay on and not actually be loaned out to Mariupol this season. So I'm talking about Mihailo Mudrik. I think he might have a breakthrough season this year under De Zerbi. He's featured a fair amount in pre-season. If he stays there, then he's almost definitely, in my opinion, going to make it into the actual, into the actual Zbirna squad, because I think he was mooted as one of those wild cards. Potentially, he'll get in there. Krivtsov potentially might be out, especially if he doesn't play for the club. So they've uh, Shakhtar have got Marlon in, so it'll probably be Matvianko and Marlon at centre back. And you know, if Krivsov's not playing, who knows? Popov, I think, is the one that I'm looking forward to seeing at centre back, and maybe over Bondar even, because you know we've seen that he is he looks pretty confident, and especially if Ukraina can be playing at three at the back, maybe against France in the World Cup qualifiers again, then you definitely want him alongside Zabarny and Matvianko in there. And then you could say if Lednev gets a bit more game time, might he get back in? Because, you know, he was one of those wild card picks that didn't end up getting into the final team. Kornienko has been called up multiple times, but just the injuries have never worked out for him. Will Bialski be able to continue his form from last season and maybe impress to get into the squad again? But he's very much on par for me with Bezos where he doesn't actually fit in with the way that's been a play in terms of the formation that I doubt I don't really see Shevchenko utilising him at all unless they get to the 120th minute of, of extra time and which doesn't which doesn't happen in qualifiers so I don't really see how that they, how they'd be how they'd be included and then you've got Zoria who we know that Schochenko doesn't like picking players outside of the top two, but they've just signed Bulletsa on loan. And I mean, Bulletsa was a standout performer in that, you know, under-20 World Cup winning team. He's not had any consistent performances over the past couple of years, even for Dnipro one. He's been in and out the side, not been showing much, but he's been pretty good for the under-21s. And I think he's passed it now, so he can't actually play for them anymore. Maybe if he puts in a good showing for Zorya, he might get in there. And you just hope that Shevchenko is a bit more open this time round in terms of the fact that Dovbik showed what he can do coming from Dupro 1. Maybe just be a bit more open-minded and bring in the players from those top four, five clubs. Or, you know, if you take the... Okay, the, it's, it's, it's very it's, you can't really compare it to England because all of the Premier League clubs are on a top level. But if you're just going to go off the basis that England have got a very a very varied squad, so you've got players from Leeds in there, Aston Villa, amongst others, that you'd probably never have thought would ever get anywhere near the team. Okay, that is to do with the fact that the actual clubs are at quite high level, they're coached by quite good, um, quite good managers... And the players themselves are of good quality. If you just hope that there's something that potentially Shevchenko might see in some of these clubs outside, like es- uh, Derin Seola has returned back from Kazakhstan, who had a great campaign over there. Okay, the level of football's not brilliant, but if he t- hits the ground running at Varskla, maybe he might get a chance, because he's been prolific over the past few years. Yeah, you don't really know the level when you're comparing all this stuff. But, you know, I think it's just, you, you may as well try it out. Especially there's going to be a couple of friendlies coming up in, in the autumn too. So they definitely need to be utilised with these new players. Piatov, I think, almost definitely is going to retire. Maybe he might get a testimonial match or something like that or get called up until he gets 100 caps. I think he might. He needs two or three, or something like that, and then he might leave after, after he gets that. Lunin, there's really been news this week that he's going to be staying at Real Madrid, according to um, Ancelotti wants to give him some game time, or has promised him he's going to be given some game time. So maybe he might make a name for himself back in, even though Bustian had a superb Euros. But yeah, overall, I think there's positives to come out of. Well, there's positives for the future. It just depends whether Shevchenko is able to act on them. And in my opinion, he just looks a bit spent. He just looks a bit drained from the whole thing. He's the longest serving Ukraine manager in history. And I feel that, especially after some of these matches, Okay, uh, especially after the Austria and the... England game and even after those Finland and Kazakhstan games in March it's like hmm, I've sort of done everything I can here and I not that he can't be bothered but it's just that he can't do much more I just mm-hmm. don't think he he feels that he can do anything more with these players that he's got at his disposal and with the sort of coaching stuff that he has
1: very fair comments there I mean Damon- after looking after the tournament, I mean I know during sort of the domestic season you comment uh commentate a lot on other european leagues as as well are there were there any of the players with their performances in the tournament do you can you see any of them for example moving to the e p l off off the back of their their performances
4: oh, look, I'd be surprised if we still had e p l clubs signing players after one tournament. You have to, you know that better than me, Adam. You have to really analyse the player during the few years now. So, uh, we've heard about Arsenal being interested in Matryenko, for example, back in January, I think, and then it just fell through. And now, after this tournament, I'm not sure they'll be interested in him.
1: But again, it's not
4: about about the tournament only. So I'm sure the, 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 the rock clubs are probably keeping their eyes on Zabarni, Popov, uh, Shaparenko, some other players as well, even those who probably didn't even participate in these um, competitions. So that would be good, of course, for all those players to go and play abroad. Because Andrew mentioned Mudrik, and I remember watching him for under-17s in a national team, and I was like, that's a player. That's a great kid. And then he doesn't play. He's 20 already. So what are you waiting for? How many Brazilians do you need to sign? Why isn't he playing for Shakhtar? He's 20 years old. I said, I don't understand it. If he's not good enough, okay, so we don't need him. We will let him go. But no, you, you put him to uh, the other clubs to play in law and, and all that stuff. Hey, he's a good player. Well, at least, but now uh, I'm hearing a lot from people saying uh, he's more like a freestyler and he has to become a player, which is give him a chance to become a player. Give him a run in the team, in the first team, not in the second, not uh, being alone. So, it, it, and it applies to every, every player, of course, from both clubs, big clubs, Dinamo and Shakhtar, because somehow they, they are the same in their treatment of the players, but, well, Dinamo had a bit more of those and they put him in the first team last season it worked out well, so they won the title. And, but it doesn't mean that that's their policy. We have to be clear on that. <laughs> it's just a <laughs> lucky coincidence, no more than this. So when it becomes a policy, and when, when these players being monitored by the clubs, actually move on, because when, when, I, when I just I just love hearing that we didn't receive any offers, or as you know, my president likes to say, I didn't receive any faxes in 21st century, right? 2021, <laughs> I'll be receiving faxes, of course, asking for your players. And so. After this tournament, you know, I don't think we had a single player who is not playing in Europe now, who would probably immediately receive an offer. But that is part of the process. That's part of the learning process for those players. And Mm -hmm. I'd I'd love to see Rimchuk to move on to another league, bigger league, probably, um, where the challenges are bigger. And I think he wants it as well you we'll saying uh, there there are rumors as well that if he goes from Ghent, that club might be interested in Dolbek to replace yorumchuk. Hmm. that will be an interesting as well. <laughs> just see how it goes
1: definitely will be Yeah, because right, he has been some rumors with Arsenal as well over the last few weeks with yarachuk if if i if I recalled. I'm not not 100% certain, but it's going to be an interesting few weeks, month or so with the transfer window in full swing. Um, Peter, one of the names there that Dima mentioned, uh, Chaparenko, was he the one that sort of stood out for you in the tournament or who for you was sort of Ukraine's player at the tournament?
3: Yeah, I think he, um, he got an unexpected chance and, and really grasped it with both hands and, and really impressed. Um, so I think it was a good tournament. But I think if we're having, uh, obviously, yeah, Jaremczuk had his moments, Jarmolenko showed still got something, although you know not really for 90 minutes. Um, Alexander Karavaev had a really good tournament, I think. But um, for me, the, the standout player, uh, the one who impressed the most, um, was Hyori Um I mean, he made some fantastic, Fantastic saves really showcased his his um, shot stopping abilities and um, something that I don't think we've seen much of him before. He was catching crosses um, and looking looking composed when dealing with them. So uh, I think all round, I know, maybe against the Netherlands you, you could question you know one or two things, but on the whole, I think he was our best player um, and he impressed the most. Really cemented himself as as being as number one and justified um, Shevchenko's choice when. There was a lot of clamour for Trubbing to get it. So, yeah, my player of the tournament would be um, would have been Bushjam.
1: Right, guys, get ready. You've got some quick-fire questions for, for you all. No one's getting off, not even you, Ray, on this one. <laughs> Three questions. Was the tournament a success? Will it go down as the greatest one in Ukrainian history? And who else was your player of the tournament? Andrew, you first.
2: So, tournament success, yes. I'll say yes just on the basis that they reached the quarterfinals, regardless of the route there. It will go down as one of, not the, but one of the Ukraine's greatest sides on the basis of their journey from 2018 to 2021. I think it deserves to be up there. They qualified for a tournament. There were some other good sides, like the 1999 one, to one that didn't qualify. But as one actually did and made the quarterfinals, they're going to definitely be up there on par of the 2006 player of the tournament. Probably have to agree with Petro Bushjan. He had a, he had a few mistakes in that first. Netherlands match but ultimately it was almost faultless display and pulled off some sensational saves and hopefully he can get even more experience coming forward and cement himself as being a number one. Thank you. Uh, Dima?
4: Well based on what I expected before the tournament I'd say yeah it is success because it comes to the quarterfinals. Uh, players well mentioned Bouchan oh, I'd mention Zabarni as well Really loves how I've played in so many games. And yeah, it, it is difficult for a central to in any game uh, like the one against England. But overall, I'd say, really like how he played in this tournament. You, you can see how unfazed he is. And it's a big pressure for a kid who played just his first proper season. And it, it, it was brilliant.
0: Thank you. Right. For now, nothing beats the uh, 2006 side for me uh, in terms of the story, the sort of uh, script the way uh, they rode to the big tournament in Germany all the dramatic uh, background Um, speaking of players uh, I could name Bezos, I could name Dovbeck but I would uh, stick to Shaparenko, very impressive uh, throughout those dreadful games on group stage and with Sweden not so good with England but hey they all fall sometimes.
1: Uh, they definitely do. Peter, of course, you already said Bouchan, but the you have for you?
3: Yeah, I think I'll, I'll agree with what's been said already. Yes, on paper, the tournament is a success, so let's let's celebrate that. Um, but going down in greatness, I agree with, with Ray. Um, I don't think they tie the shoelaces of 2006 just yet. I don't know. Obviously, they're above 2016 as a tournament team, but who knows if the format in 2012 was different. They might have been a par with them. Um So I, I just put them in in second place from our tournament teams, but a distant second.
1: Ah, fair enough. Well said. Well, I mean that's, that's it for today, guys. I mean, I hope everyone at home's enjoyed it as much as we have here. It's been some great insight into into the performances over the last few weeks. Peter, thanks thanks so much for taking time out to join us. What have you got lined up over the next few weeks for the next way and with the season just sort
3: of 10 days away or so yeah i was just gonna say it's not much of a break is it because it all starts (laughs) again very soon yeah we'll we'll probably do our usual stuff we're thinking of a couple of things for the anniversary we might come up uh, the independence day anniversary so i might come up with something for for that i've done a couple of countdowns in the past and so might do something similar i don't know i have to have a think um but otherwise it's just the general stuff um just you know, having fun and following Ukrainian football. So best, best place to find us is at Donetsk Way um, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So
2: yeah. And listeners uh, watch out for on Donetsk Way socials for the fantasy league on Tribuna. That's coming up soon, isn't it? Petro?
3: Yeah, of course I will. I will share that. Um, but only to people that I will finish it above.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm I'm glad I finished the distance wherever I was last year. <laughs> uh, Dima, thanks again. Also, thanks so much for joining us. We've re- really appreciated it. Uh, some excellent insight as well. I uh, what what have you got lined up over the next few weeks in the in the run up to the the new seasons?
4: Just uh, Copa America final, European Championship final, then probably a few days break. But well we have champions league qualifiers being played now Europe league qualifiers Europa conference league qualifiers so there are a lot of games and uh so actually before the recording these i just watched some from the champions league from from june still the falgore pristina game and just we'll move on to other games that i have just this it just doesn't stop, no.
1: <laughs> it really doesn't. We we're, I mean, we're all excited here, for, especially for the conference league, I think, this month, which, which will be a, an exciting addition to European football. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. For people who want to follow your work at all, where's anywhere on social media for that?
4: I'm on, on Twitter.
1: Fantastic. Ray, it's been a pleasure as always. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have.
0: Certainly had, Adam. Thanks for that. I tried my best. Uh, my socials would yeah, be instagram very really big i mean
1: looking forward to getting back to the Obolon uh,
0: what two weeks two weeks time not with those <laughs> not with those transfers not with those transfer man not yet uh, but, but my heart my heart is always there so don't worry
1: good man andrew i hope you're taking a a well-deserved break at the moment after all your work over the last three four weeks
2: Thanks, Adam. Well, no, I'm not taking a break, unfortunately. I'm taking a, it's going to be very similar to those Sheffield players who have gone straight into pre-season. Preparing for the new one, which as you say, is not long or far away. We've got a very cool episode coming out very soon. Um, mm-hmm. So everyone keep your eyes peeled for that. Make sure to um, subscribe on your podcast channels that you listen to us on. And if you can, give us a review as well. That would be really appreciative. To so follow me on social, Zorya Londonsk, on Instagram and Twitter.
1: I can just add in there as well. For people listening, if you ever want to give us any feedback or comments on, on the podcasts, you can either add on the platforms themselves or the email address, Andrew, is Football at gmail.com. So if you ever want to send anything across to us, you can e- e- email us there. And is it... I'm going to ask Andrew to clarify. Is it the plus spelt with words or is it the plus symbol
2: plus the word
1: okay thanks for that uh, that's it for today everyone as andrew said we've got an exciting episode coming out next week so keep your eyes peeled for that but till then of course i'm adam at okrafo 24 and take care stay safe and goodbye for now it's heavy, it's heavy,
0: it's heavy.